chapter 6. Galatians 6 is where we will be reading today. You know, in our world, there are laws. There are civil laws, uh, spiritual laws, physical laws. Um, If you pass John Van Gordon, who is a Springfield police officer, and you're going double the speed limit, and he is on patrol, those lights and sirens are probably going to come on unless he just is too tired to to deal with it, which I imagine many police officers get. And he will issue you a citation because you violated a civil law that was established in the city of Springfield that the speed limit is this many miles per hour. If you're hungry and you decide to go into Price Cutter and You see some Doritos that look good to you and you grab them and you open the bag and start walking down the aisle and munching on them and you get thirsty and so you go to the pop aisle and you grab a two liter of Dr. Pepper off and you start drinking it and then maybe you want some sugar, some sweets. Uh, I imagine that in that scenario, I'm sure there's some sort of law that's being broken there, some sort of misdemeanor citation. I've never tried that myself, maybe you have. But I think you would be violating a civil law that's established that you can't just go into a place and take their food off their shelf. If you were to climb up on our, our church roof and, and jump off, in a matter of seconds, you will greet the ground because of the law of gravity. Uh, while we were in Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago, I... I took my kids on a, a tour of Morris, the town I grew up in. It, it takes, yeah. about, takes about five minutes uh, to tour the city of Morris. Uh, but one of the streets we went down was 6th Street. And uh, my, my infamous memory on 6th Street is my very first car accident. Uh, I was speeding, uh, rather speedily, and uh, the road ended before I could stop my car. The, the laws of motion took over, and I showed my kids where I ran off the road, ran through a bunch of trees, and uh, totaled out uh, my first car. Uh, an embarrassing experience for me, uh, but I wanted to show them that, and I thought of that in conjunction. That was the law of motion. I was learning physics uh, as well as that accident. And uh, there are spiritual laws, and, and uh, that, that lead into the song we just sang uh, reveals a spiritual law, that if we, in repentance and humility, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He invites us to come as we are in confession of those sins. Well, this morning we're going to consider another law, and I... I, I I hesitate to label it a spiritual law because uh, for some that label may be a little bit wishy-washy. Understand that the law we're going to look at is just as sure as the laws of motion and the laws of gravity. Today we're going to consider the law of reaping what we have sown or the law of returns, the law of returns. Recently my 
wife planted some green bean seeds in our garden boxes in the backyard. And the law of returns assures us that as long as those, those seeds grow, uh, green beans will come up, not, not rhubarb, uh, which why anybody would eat rhubarb, I don't know. Uh, I had friends growing up that loved rhubarb pies. They were terrible. Uh, but rhubarb is a northern thing. I see some of the northerners over here like, yeah, give me that rhubarb. Uh, no, the law of returns, the law of sowing and reaping what you have sown says green beans will be produced. Farmers don't uh, plant uh, a field of corn and then in the month of June wonder why, why wheat is growing or wonder why wheat is not growing. They, they planted corn, they expect corn to grow. And it is this law of returns that Paul wishes to address as he inches closer uh, to the conclusion of his letter to the Galatian churches. And so consider with me, follow along as I read Galatians 6. I'm going to start in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap even if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray for a moment. Father, help us now as we consider these truths together this morning. What an incredible time it has already been of singing and, and in the singing, remembering your grace and your mercy. How welcoming you are to us. Help us now as we consider these truths to not just hear them, but to do them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You might have noticed that the passage begins with what seems to be a bit of a random command, a bit of a random piece of instruction. I'm talking about verse 6. So he says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And, and I want to assure you up front, as you probably already know if you've studied scripture, it's not random at all. Uh, in particular, what's happening here, it's a particular point of application that Paul begins with in verse 6 that he mirrors in his conclusion. And so he's making a bit of a sandwich for us. He opens with the, encouraging, uh, the encouragement of the Jesus followers to do good to those who teach them. And then he closes with the, with the command to do good to all people. And in the middle is the meat, the meat of the law of returns. And so this is the structure with which we look at what Paul is doing. And so let's go ahead and we're going to dive in right there on that first piece of bread Verse 6, as he offers the instruction, be good to your teachers. Now, me standing up here and addressing this verse could feel a bit awkward. 
Uh, it could be maybe a bit uncomfortable because in this verse, Paul is challenging the, the congregants to financially support those who teach them, their pastors, those who are leading them. Let me share a couple interesting points with you about this verse. When we read that line that says, the one who is taught the word, we're actually looking at one particular word in the Greek text. And I want to give you this word. Here's what it is. It's katakaminos. Katakaminos. Which is the word from which we get catechism. So this is new for us because this year we have been week after week doing what Jason got up here and did and read to us the New City Catechism. A catechism is an organized set of teachings. It's structured, it's formulated. And so Paul is saying the one who is being catechized should share good things with the one who is teaching or the one who is catechizing them. Now I'm making up a bunch of words uh, when I use it and word it that way, but you get it. That's the idea. That's what Paul wants us to see. And then there's this word share. He says share with him. This is the Greek word that we've, we've, we've shared multiple times. It's the word koinonia. It's a word that means to fellowship, to, to share life together. It's not a payment that is offered to a teacher, but rather blessings that are shared with the teacher. Just as teachers share the spiritual gifts God has given them with the learner, so the learners share their financial gifts God has given them with the teacher. Tim Keller writes that. So this provides us with a good opportunity, I thought, today to consider our relationship. We're friends, I know that, but the relationship that exists between teachers and learners. I'm the teacher, the pastor, the shepherd. You're the learner. You're the, the congregant, the, the sheep that comes here to be fed. Remember in Acts 6, Acts 6 is a pivotal passage in the early church because Peter uh, comes to the leaders, the other leaders of the church, the church as a whole, and he says, something needs to change. Uh, things had gotten very busy in the church. And so Peter comes to those leaders, and it has become evident to him that the church needed servants. It needed deacons, that's the word that we take from that in servants, to help with the day-to-day -day ministry of the church. And do you remember how Peter justifies that? Peter said to them, because we, the, the leaders, the apostles, the teachers, we must give attention to the word and to prayer. That's the justification he lays out before them. One of my primary tasks, according to the instruction we find in the New Testament, is to teach. Is to teach. Which means I have to give a considerable amount of time to study, to preparation, what Paul and the other New Testament uh, authors, including Jesus, note is that those who learn should share with the one who teaches them so that they are free to study rather than work additional jobs. But I want to be clear here, and I want to be completely transparent because there are bivocational pastors. I may be throwing some new, new terms at you, uh, but I want you to understand this. Uh, by a bivocational pastor, I mean a pastor who works a job that supports 
himself and his family, and then he also works the job of pastoring in a church. Uh, one of my dearest friends, Nathan Beal, uh, many of you have been praying for them. They just lost uh, their baby girl, and uh, we had the funeral service uh, for uh, their daughter Penelope this week. Um, he is a bivocational pastor. He pastors a small church south of Nixa, between Nixa and Highlandville, and so he works uh, to support his family, and then he also works and labors in the church. My brother, Randy, who pastors in Oklahoma, he has always been, for the most part, a bivocational pastor at his church. In fact, in some instances, Paul himself chose to be a bivocational pastor as he would go from city to city. Uh, Paul had the occupation of being a tent maker. And so sometimes in order to not be a burden on the people, uh, he would work his job and then also teach the people. Sometimes it was out of uh, fear that they would maybe resent him or there would be negative consequences. And so he just simply stuck to making his own money. We use that term today sometimes to describe missionaries. Sometimes we'll say that missionary is a tent making missionary. So they go to the field and they're laboring on the field to, to plant a church, to do the work in a church, but they're also working a job. Sometimes that's so they can make money. Sometimes because the world has changed so much, that's what keeps them on the field. They have to have a job. They have to have a business visa, something that gets them grounded there. And so we call them tent-making missionaries. And so here's the bottom line. When you give to Meadowview, a portion of what you give is shared with me and my family so that I am free then to, to read, to study, to prepare, to pray, to effectively pastor you. Additionally, as a church, we share uh, with, with Josh and Jesse because they invest time in our students and their ministry. And so we share with them as well as they prepare and encourage our students. But before we move on, as I was reading and studying this, John Stott, who is a, a pastor of old who's already passed on from England, he gave a couple of really good warnings here. And one of them is this. It's a warning about a pastor abusing this particular situation. Because as a pastor, there's a temptation in this, and I know the temptation all too well, to become lazy and to take the money that has been shared with me and to not really do the work. And I bring that up because that is a significant temptation that really any pastor can feel and experience, uh, but it is a danger where this can be abused. There's also on the other side the abuse that the congregation can have, and I, I am thankful that I have never once in, in 17, 18 years of ministry here experienced this, but sometimes people can get the opinion and say, well, if we're paying the pastor, then he should say what we want him to say, right? I paid the piper, I get to call the tune that the piper plays. That's the old saying. And that is an abuse that, again, I've never experienced here, but I know other pastors who have certainly experienced it. And they've lost position, they've lost jobs because of that particular abuse. On a personal note, I just want to express to you my thankfulness and my family's thankfulness for the way that this church has supported us through many years of ministry, even through difficult and 
famous years of ministry that many of you remember. God has been gracious and I am thankful for your generosity in taking care of my family. And uh, so I just want to express that at that point. Let's, let's move on though to verse seven, which begins with what seems to be a bit of a hard pivot and also maybe just like a punch to the face uh, with the way Paul words what he words. Do not be deceived. He uses here a very aggressive warning to introduce us to the law of returns. The Galatians had already been deceived. Remember, false teachers had come into the church. They were presently being deceived because the false teachers were saying, listen, you need Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. Or you need Jesus, but you also need to keep these parts of the Mosaic law. Paul says that is another gospel that really isn't a gospel at all. You're distorting the truth because the true gospel is Jesus plus nothing. It's just Jesus. He's what we need. And so these are the issues that Paul has already addressed throughout the body of the letter. But here, we're also being compelled by him to address the lack of spiritual fruit that he sees in the church. Particularly, they're lacking in love, they're lacking in generosity, they're lacking in kindness and goodness. So he declares this, God is not mocked. God will not be made a fool of. And why does he say that? Because he uses that to set up the law of returns. Because he says there's a law that God has established and he will not be made a fool of because what you sow, you will reap. That is the law that God has determined. The Galatians were living as if their actions would reap no consequences. And Paul assures them that in the law of returns that was established by God himself, whatever one sows, that they will reap. He goes on to add some, some flesh to the argument, and I mean every bit of pun that I can intend on that. Because that's exactly what he says when he says, if you sow to your flesh, then you'll reap of the flesh corruption. Now, there's a specific application that, that runs through this, and it's about finances. Paul is dealing with money here as he brings this letter to a conclusion. That's not uncommon with several of Paul's letters as he brings them to conclusion. Uh, but Thomas Schreiner writes this. He says, sowing to the flesh in this paragraph means that one uses one's worldly goods for one's own advantage and in accord with selfish desires. Let me read that again. Sowing to the flesh in this paragraph means that the, the, the person uses their own worldly goods for their own advantage and in accord with everything that they desire and everything that they want. So when you sow your money to yourself, and we all know this experience, typically, at best, it's blah. You know, it doesn't feel great. But at worst, it's destructive. But when we sow our money to others, we reap the joyful harvest. Because as Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Why did he say that? Because he created the law of returns. He knows. He spoke the law into existence. 
Let me expound on the application found in verse 6 just to put some flesh on this idea. When you share your money with me, it in turn benefits you. Because you shared money with me, I sat in my office on Tuesday and I worked on this sermon. (laughs) And Wednesday, I was able to get some work done on Easter Sunday's sermon. Able to study and read those things and then I stand before you and I'm able to open up God's word and we're able to walk through these things together. When you share your money and you send me to a conference where I, I can be you know, enriched and, and people are pouring into me, you reap the benefit of that because then I'm able to come back refreshed and able to pour those benefits into you as well. That's why I'm not particularly embarrassed about standing up here and sharing these particular truths because the point of the verse is is that if you, you serve me or any other teacher, that serves you. That's the law. That's why Paul brings this to bear on us. But, but we can broaden the law of return. So it's not just about finances. It's not just about money. Uh, we can move it beyond that. And I'm going to let John Stott take it here uh, because I could go a thousand different directions and so I'm just going to use his quote. He says this, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, every time uh, we nurse a grievance or entertain an impure fantasy or we wallow in self-pity, we're sowing to the flesh. Think about it for a moment. What do you reap when you harbor a grudge? Is it good? No. He goes on. Every time we linger in bad company, whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we uh, read pornographic literature, he's definitely dating himself there. Every time we take a risk uh, which strains out self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. Sowing to the flesh. And the law of returns teaches us that sowing to the flesh leads to our decay and it leads to destruction. Go back and consider the list of the fruit of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. You'll see very clearly the results of sowing to the flesh. But the law of returns also says that if we sow to the Spirit, then from the Spirit we will reap eternal life. And so, once again, the the direct application we're looking at is finances, meaning that we're called to be generous in giving to others who are in need. And that shouldn't be a new concept to us. Because that's come up over and over again as we considered the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, one of the fruit of the Spirit we considered was the fruit of generosity. We see that throughout the pages of Scripture. As followers of Jesus, we're meant to be generous. Uh, Even as we think about the fruit of love, which is this, love is you before me, we should understand that means being generous with other people or, or kindness and goodness, recognizing that those are acts of generosity that we're called to express in other people's lives. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul writes of this sacrificial giving, and he uses the Macedonians as an example And here's what he says. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. 
Paul says, I'm writing to you about being generous and giving so that in that you can prove the earnestness of your love. If our supreme command is to love God and love other people, Paul says, one of the ways that we prove our love and the sincerity of it is by being generous, as Jesus was generous. He goes on in the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 9, and says this. This is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Jesus taught this in Luke 6. Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Jim summed up these verses this morning before he knew what we were going to talk about just in our early conversation. And he said, man, you just can't outgive God. You can't. But once again, we broaden the application. Once again, I'll let Stott do that. How do we sow to the Spirit? By the books we read. By the company we keep. By the occupations and leisurely things that we pursue. By, by fostering disciplined habits of devotion in, in private life and public life, daily prayer, Bible reading, worship with the Lord's people on the Lord's day. When you're here, you sow to the Spirit by using your gifts to serve other people, to, to benefit the body as many are doing right now downstairs, teaching our kids, watching our kids. They're here encouraging us. All of this is sowing to the Spirit, and without that, there's no harvest. There's no reaping. In fact, the promise here is pretty sweet. What does he say? He says, if you sow to the Spirit, then you'll reap eternal life. Of course, that, that doesn't mean that, that we're earning our salvation by the things that we do. What he means is we're proving our salvation by the things that we do. We're proving, like Paul said, the genuineness of our love by who we're sowing to. Investing in others, meeting others' needs, helping to restore others, helping to bear the burdens of others. In all of those things, Jesus says you're doing this. You're laying up treasures in heaven for a harvest that will come. And so my friends, we have to strive, we have to fight to avoid sowing to the flesh. In chapter 5, what does he say? Crucify the flesh and its passions and desires. And then what does he say in turn? You have to be led by the Spirit. You, you have to keep in step with the Spirit, sowing things to the Spirit every single day. We do that by focusing on loving others, doing good in the lives of others. And this leads to the final point. In verse 10, we read this. So then... As we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, don't, <laughs> don't let that be the excuse clause. We can't help everybody, can we? That's, that's the reality. We can't shower money on the world and say, all right, everybody's problems are fixed because we've given money, we've given our time, we've given our life. Only Jesus 
could do that. But as we have opportunity, we're meant to help other people. But sometimes, here's what happens with me. This isn't the opportunity. (laughs) Keep watching your movie. Keep doing the thing that you want to do. Because now's not a good time. And I use this little phrase as an excuse to step back and say, we'll let somebody else take care of it. Okay, we have to find that appropriate balance. So let me read on. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. So that first slice of bread as we moved in was do good to your teachers. Then he gave us all the meat in the middle, right? That meat that says, hey, you will reap what you sow. Understand God will not be mocked. And then he brings in the other slice of bread that says, do good to everyone as the opportunity presents itself. Falls right in line with everything we've learned so far in Galatians. Because he's told us, use your freedom that you have now in Jesus to in love serve others. Serve people. Um, lovingly restore others who have been overtaken by sin. Bear the burdens of others, and in doing so, what does he say we're accomplishing? We're fulfilling the law of Christ. What's that? That's love. It it all comes back to this. Doing good to others is loving others, which is the fulfillment of the command. Here to love others, to do good to others, is to generously give to those who have needs. So when you see somebody who's unable to afford their groceries in the store, and you have opportunity... Swipe your card. When you've got a coworker whose car's broken down and the mechanic's wanting more than, than, than they can afford, they need an extra $100, $150, and you have opportunity, do good in that moment as God gives you an opportunity. Growing up, um, when I was in, in college, I didn't have to work a, a lot of job while I was going through school. I would work, um, you know, maybe 15, 20 hours a week, but I would go home and I would work a lot during the summer and a lot during Christmas break. You've heard me talk about my job working for Pence Brothers Drilling Company. It's not an easy job, uh, but it was a job that gave me pretty much as many hours as I wanted to work. I could work. And uh, it was a good job for me, and I had a great boss. He didn't hire me because of my skill set. He hired me because he knew my dad, and he loved my dad. And I got in the door because of that. But I'll never forget that 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 first summer that I was leaving, he tried to get me to stay, but he knew I was going to to Bible college to study and move into ministry. But my boss, he said, hey, I want to give you a friend, and I want you to stick him in your wallet, and I want you to only call on him when you need him. And he handed me a a crisp $100 bill. Now, in 1997, a $100 bill went a long way. I think I was making six bucks an hour uh, to work. So that that was a lot of work to get to that point. And he made me stick that in there. And I had that in my wallet for my whole first semester into my second semester. And then my brakes went out on my car and I had to take it to Montgomery Ward. Anybody remember Montgomery Ward in Battlefield Mall? Yeah, that used to be a thing. And I had to pull that $100 bill out (laughs) to help pay for those breaks. It's just a memory that I have of the generosity 
of another person. And I'm thankful for Larry Pants. But as we pointed out, doing good does apply beyond money. Sometimes money's the easiest thing we can do. Pulling a few hundred dollars out of our account, if we've got it there, and passing along to somebody. But what about giving our time? I mean, really investing in people by sitting down with them, listening to their story, doing good, opening up God's word, and, and using it and the truths that we find in it to bring encouragement to somebody's life. Sometimes, you know, that takes some study. That takes that extra time of saying, okay, my, my friend at work is struggling with this. What does God's word say about it? And so we take the time to dig in. It may be doing good by spending 10 minutes every day just praying for people. Praying that God would work in their life. That's doing good. That's one of the best things we can do for people is asking God to work in their life. When you do good, Stott writes this. It may bring comfort. It may bring relief or assistance to people who are in need. It may lead a, a sinner to repentance. It may arrest the moral deterioration of our society and even make it sweeter and a more wholesome place to live. The point is this. When we do good, we reap good. That's the law of returns. But the lead into that particular point is pretty powerful as well. We can't afford to skip it. Verse 9 encourages us. Don't grow weary in this task. Don't grow weary in doing good because in due time, in God's time, we will reap all of those things that we have sown into the lives of other people. Sometimes we give and we give and we give and we, we sow and we sow and we sow and we do all these things and we wonder, where is the good harvest? Sometimes we give and we give and we give to somebody and then it just seems like they disappear and we've been taken advantage of. We've been made a fool of after we've done so much good in their life. God will not be made a fool of. He will not be mocked. He said, you sow good, you will reap good. You may not see it in this life. It may be the treasure that's being stored up in heaven. But he will accomplish everything that he intends for those good things to accomplish. Other people's response to your good deeds does not change the law of returns. It does not change the promise that God makes to us. Don't let that affect you. I like how James words it when he says, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Be patient about it until he receives the early and the latter rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand and don't grumble against each other. The judge stands at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Be patient. Don't grow weary in doing good. 
So let's keep it up. I'm so thankful that I don't have to stand before this church and say, we got to start doing good. (laughs) Because God's been gracious to us, and there are all sorts of good things that many of you do week in and week out. And there are all sorts of good things that we do as a church, but let's, let's keep giving to our missionaries. Let's continue doing good so that we're not only blessing our, our missions partners and their families, but we're blessing the many people that they're in turn sowing into. Isn't that amazing? This law of returns, it seems to never end. It continues on. You sow into our missionaries, and they sow into other people, and those people sow into other people. And God takes our generosity, and he does far beyond what we could ever imagine with it. What an incredible grace. Let's keep giving to support our manna feeding center. Kids that can get a meal. Kids that will hear the good news of Jesus week in and week out. I'm pumped. You know, our Awana kids last last Sunday night, they gave all sorts of change. Some of you contributed to that. I mean, it was a heavy bucket. Uh, I think I pulled something, lifting it and taking it to the bank. And I know how much was given. I'm not going to say it yet because Chuck gets to make that announcement tonight. But I'm so excited about that because that that money, that generosity is going to feed into that that manna feeding center slash Awana club that's hosted there and be a blessing to them. Let's keep giving to those things. In a couple of weeks, Craig Alsup, who is our our manna missions partner, he's going to be with us. He's going to give us an update on that feeding center. He's going to challenge us to continue to do more and more. Many of you, let's keep supporting our local nonprofit ministries. We have some great partners in our community. People Helping People gives food out every week to people who need it. I know right now and over the last year, there's been tons of people that have started new ministries and the ability to give because money's being thrown back and forth. People Helping People has been doing that in our community for a very, very long time. Let's continue to support them. Let's continue to support the Republic Pregnancy Resource Center and these other organizations that are doing good in our community. Let's keep supporting our ministries here at Meadowview so that we can continue to disciple, so that we continue to know Christ, we can continue to make him known in our community and in our fellowship. For weeks, I've been praying specifically about some of our limitations here. Our leadership's been praying about limitations that we have here because there are set limitations. Um, Right now, it's pretty full in here. You had those kids in here, and it's really full in here. If you come for Awana clubs, you'll notice that it's packed. We've knocked out every wall we can knock out in our basement. Uh, We're at the limit of, of how much ministry we can do in certain areas. Praise God for that. I, I don't say that with any negativity. I say that to say thank you, Lord, because many of you remember when there was, there was plenty of room in this auditorium for more people to come. We were wondering if we could keep the air on and the heat on uh, during some of those particular Sundays. Could we afford the bill? So for a few weeks, a group of our own members have been meeting, discussing those limitations, and working towards a plan 
that will at some point in the future be presented that will give us greater opportunity to know Christ, to make Christ known in the community, to serve our community, to love on our community. And that plan, whatever it is, I assure you it will require us to give generously. It's going to require us to give and be generous so that ultimately good can be done. Those are, those are seeds that we're planting. And you can do good today. This is something, it's not new. We've been talking about this for months. We have a building fund now. And I challenge you, begin sowing the seeds into that. Begin being generous to that so that when the time comes, we can reap the harvest of what's been sown. But it can't stop with writing checks. It means we're restoring one another when we see a fellow struggler in trouble. We come alongside. We bear their burdens. You notice Paul's clause there at the end of verse 10. Do good to everyone, but especially those of the household of faith. Take Take care of your own. There's a, there's a bit of a structure that we find in the New Testament. You take care of your family first. You take care of your church. And you take care of everyone. We're called to take care of one another, men of you. Do good by using your time, your talents to help meet needs. If you're, you know construction, do good and help somebody who's in need. I love that uh, our, our guys who are gifted in that area are, are doing that. It wasn't long ago, Tyler, we had, a, we had a leadership meeting with our trustees, and he's like, guys, I can't make it. And it wasn't because he was going to go shoot something or catch something. He was using the skills that God's given him to help a friend locally with a water heater issue. That's a good reason to miss a meeting. Do good. If you know your way around a car, use that gift that God's given you to do good and to help other people. You know your way around a kitchen. Use that to do good and to bless other people. That's what we're called to do. Do good to everyone. The law of returns is very real and God will not be mocked. What you sow today, you will reap. What you sow tomorrow, you will reap. Would you bow with me? I want to give you a moment to just simply evaluate. Evaluate your own life, your generosity, your kindness, your goodness, that love that you have for others. Are you seizing the opportunities that God's given you to do good? It's not my job to stand up here today and bring conviction to you. I don't know the intricacies of your life, your time, your schedule, your checking account. Nor do I want to know any of that. But the Spirit does. And the Spirit will bring conviction. And if there's areas where you need to repent, repent. Maybe now's even a time to just simply show gratitude to God because there are people in the past or maybe in your present situation who have done good to you. They've restored you 
They've bore your burdens. They've given to you in times of need. And you just say, God, thank you for that person. I want to give you an opportunity now to pray. Father, we are thankful that you have designed your creation to operate within certain parameters and laws. It's a beautiful thing when we see that in the, in the natural order of creation, but it's also a beautiful thing when we see that in the spiritual realm, when we consider, Lord, what we sow, we reap. So simple, yet so profound. Help us, God. Help us to sow to the Spirit today, this week. Help us to crucify the flesh, to stop sowing to the flesh. Because it's just bringing pain and sorrow. It's just hurting us and other people. Help us to see that. And help us, God, to be generous as we sow, as you have been generous in sowing into us. We pray these things and ask in Jesus' name.